in life, we do have to take full ownership of our actions and our decisions. And, and if we don't, it's going to be limiting our own growth and our own progress in whatever we're doing. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Thane Marcus Ringler recently published his first book, From Here to There, A Quarter-Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. Some people might find the idea of even writing the book or coming on the show to share his perspective to be audacious for a 25-year-old. But I believe there's something to learn from everybody, whether it's my eight-year-old son, my father who's an ex-army ranger turned entrepreneur, or a former PGA Tour pro like Thane who was forced to pivot. So I'm grateful that Thane gave me the opportunity to learn from him, and I'm looking forward to sharing his wisdom with all of you today. Now, Thane found himself at the 2015 Australian Open, his first big tour as a professional golfer. He was playing against big names like Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, and Lee Westwood. These were people he looked up to, and seeing them next to him really solidified in his mind that the game is not the thing that's different. The thing that makes people different at that level is the experience, the mindset, the confidence, the belief, and the focus. Those are the things, those intangible things that exist in the mind. But leading up to this tour, Thane had his first experience with something called the yips, an involuntary fear-based movement of the body that gets ingrained into generally an athlete's performance. It was just a week before the biggest game of his life, and he couldn't keep a club face square. He went out there every day in a battle against the yips, and it was the greatest battle on the golf course, and in many ways, his own mind. Thane did get to a place where he was able to compete, although he still faltered in the second round of the Australian Open. But he was proud of himself for getting to a place where he could compete, And he could stand next to these players and recognize that his skills and his talent were were on parallel in a lot of ways. There's so much more in this episode. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Thane, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneurship, man. Excited to to learn more about your story, about your journey. You know you're young. And so you're, you've written a book that talks about some of the lessons that you've learned in the first quarter century of your life. And so some people might be on this show and they're judging you right now. They're like, what am I going to learn from a 25-year-old kid? But you know, I believe that there is much to learn from everybody, whether it is my 8-year-old son, a 74-year-old uh, you know, ex-army ranger, a PGA tour pro like yourself who dreamed about this, pursued this, 
competed on on great stages at a high level and ultimately had to make a decision to pivot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from you and sharing your wisdom on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I am excited just to talk and share. And and you're right. We we really uh, it's hard. It's harder to learn um, from people that are younger than us. I mean, I can imagine, right? And and it's also hard when you're young to learn from people that are older than us because we are pretty, you know, uh, prideful and ignorant. So so I think <laughs> it's always, you know, it's always a balance. And I think I think each stage of life provides. A unique lens that we get to see and experiencing through, and um, it's a beautiful thing to be able to learn from each other. So, before we hit the record button, we were talking about your experience at the 2015 Australian Open. This is your first big tour. Take us back there. Who were you playing against? What were some of the things going on in your mind, and what were some of the takeaways and experiences you had? Yeah, this was really one of the the, the climaxes of my professional career, um, and I had partial status on the one Asia tour that year. So I had played in four other events: uh, three in South Korea, one in Fiji, and in each one, I uh, was in good position pretty much in every tournament except the first, um, and ended up uh, faltering later in the second round and missing the cut on all of those events. And so the Australian Open was really my last chance uh, to keep status for the next year. Uh, it was a a really awesome event, a really amazing venue, uh, playing in front of crowds, um, and just a great experience. Both my parents were there, my dad was caddying, and and you know names like Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, Lee Westwood, these kind of these kind of caliber of players were there and and in the ropes with me. And I just remember being on the putting green, you know, with Jordan Spieth and and other guys that you know you've looked up to for a while, and um, and just seeing myself next to them. It really solidified in my mind that the game is not the thing that's different. It's the experience. It's the mindset. It's the confidence. It's the belief. It's the focus. The things that are intangible in the mind, and that's really where, uh, really where golf, uh, especially at the professional level, uh, the big battle lies. So I mean, I, I got off to a great start. Uh, was like one under early on, and I remember you know my name uh, being up near on the leaderboard, and and just. Some cool experiences like that. Um, the context of this event was actually really interesting. So the week before, I'd gone and this, I knew this was the biggest tournament I had played in. I was playing in a, a smaller developmental tour just for a warm-up uh, a tournament earlier the week before. And, and I actually, for the first time, really got the yips. And I don't know if you're familiar with the yips at all, but the yips are kind of involuntary movement of the body um, that gets ingrained. And it's a kind of a fear-based experience. Uh, it can happen in baseball. Sometimes the catchers can't throw the ball back to the pitcher um, because they just have the yips. It's an involuntary muscle movement based on fear, ultimately. And I got that with my wedges. Anything from 50 to 120 yards, I I just couldn't keep the club face square. Uh, and, it, and it really just became this massive fear um, and it was a week before the biggest tournament I played in my life. And so that week was one of the greatest fights I've, I've faced on the golf course because I was out there day after day, banging my head against this on the range and fighting to overcome these fears and these, these thoughts and this pattern. Um, and I was really grateful to be able to get to a place where, where I was able to compete and 
And granted, I, I still faltered in the second round um, and missed the cut by a few. But but I was proud of myself for getting to a place where I could compete and I could stand next to these players and and, and recognize that my skill and my talent was was parallel in a lot of ways. Um, so it was so, a really memorable experience. So what did you do going back to that? You know, when you've you've got the the yips as you called it, and I've I've never heard that phrase before. I thought it was going to be like somebody like cheering for you. you know? <laughs> Uh, but, uh, how did you, what was the process? You know, there, there was a great Olympic athlete that I had on my show named Eli Bremer. And one of the things he said was that people need to stop trying to win and start focusing on being good. And one of the ways to do that is to, is to have an outcome and that's fine, but not focus on the outcome, focus on the process. Yep. So, and become obsessed about that. So how did you approach just Overcoming that hurdle, especially uh, in such a short period of time. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, battle because he's right. Like it's really at the end of the day, any high level performer always is obsessed with the process because you cannot entertain the results. You can't spend mental energy or focus on the results because that's taking you away from the present in the moment. There's a great book called The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford that kind of goes into that as well. But yeah, so so for the in the yips all often show up in putting actually. So people sometimes will get those with short putts. I actually um Ernie Ells got that most recently in the Masters a couple of years back and and it was it was just it's it's tough to watch honestly. Um but for me, it was it was really a understanding. It was a first off is just taking a step back, right, and being like, okay, what is causing this? Where what is my mind doing that my body is listening to? And really examining um, what is the causal factors because it feels incurable. Like it feels like you're unable to change it. Um, and the more you practice it and kind of ingrain those muscle memories, the harder it is to overcome it. And so really that week was spent hitting a ton of range balls, but very, very much like in the gym, 10th rep on my mind of fighting for the right thoughts mm-hmm. and and trying to ingrain a new habitual response. So it's preaching truth and believing truth to my mind and to myself as I practice these repetitions to try and re-grain that muscle memory. And, and I think it's, it's getting past that fear. And fear, the, the irrational fears that we have, see, again, it's, it's, it's intangible. You can't like see that muscle, but it is a muscle in your mind. Um, and it takes a lot of mental work. So it really was just about trying to retrain my mind through repetitions on the range and really focused positive affirmations, not negative, which is really hard when, when you're fighting uphill. Mm-hmm. And, and is that, was it like you're on the range and all of a sudden you start to feel different? Is that when you know that things are changing? It's a very slow process. And so feeling in the moment is very hard. You have to trust the process though, right? That's, that's what you hear a lot of like trust the process. And that's, that's true. I mean, it's always about incremental steps of growth. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where we're at. But when you're in a hole, those baby steps don't feel like you're really making much progress. But it really is about trusting the process and keeping at that, that mental fight of believing those thoughts. And so you do see small things here and there, but it is 
it's it's a it's very it's very dim at start, right? Mm-hmm. At the start, it's very dim, and and by the end of the week, I got to a place mentally where I was able to um, not entertain those thoughts hardly at all. I mean, it did it did show up in small places, right? I only had a week, so it wasn't fully gone for the tournament, but it was light years better than the week before, um, and and that's part of it, right? Like how recent it is makes it more easy for our, our mind to remember. And to return to that uh, that that place, so the the proximity really does make a difference, and it makes a fight harder. So take us back again to the open, and you are on the green with Adam Scott. Is that you said? Who who were you on yeah, the green with? There was Jordan Spieth there, Adam yeah. Scott. I remember putting, uh, practicing some putting with Jordan Spieth on the green there, and, and just it was just interesting, you know, like it. it Seeing yourself where you had planned on being, um, and seeing that kind of come to fruition in a small way was, yeah, it's it's always a surreal moment. You're like, wow, you know, I, I, I'm I'm at one place of of the goal that I had set out before me. Now, granted, I never reached the PGA Tour, which was my goal, but but just having that small victory of of getting to that place was was a really neat experience. I mean, I, it always is a little surreal in the moment. When you think about intensity, so so I have a couple of questions more about playing alongside some of these iconic golfers, and I'm not a golfer. I, I you know I'm I'm a hacker at best. Uh, but when you think about so like Adam Scott, for instance, what was your handicap compared to his? So handicaps are are interesting. They're really not. They're not really a factor once you get to the okay. professional level. What what they care. What the professional tour usually looks at is more scoring average. Okay. Because um, that's a better indication. Everyone's handicap is going to be much lower than scratch. So anywhere from one to like five uh-huh, okay. plus one to five. So I mean it. That's not as important. I guess, I guess what's more important is the set and setting, right? Because Going out and playing during the week is one thing, but going out and playing during the Australian Open is a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the best players shine, right? When the, when the stage is highest. So what was your average score compared to like Adam Scott's then? Just so people have a... a yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you, honestly, because I was only having a handful of events on that tour um, and I hadn't aggregated my scoring average between all the different tours I was playing on. Um, gotcha. But... It was probably it, it probably was anywhere from a three to five stroke difference on average. Yeah, so I mean, not much, you know, r- relatively speaking. When totally, you went, yeah. you know, I mean, it's 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 a very it's a very narrow path that separates you from the PGA Tour. Yeah, and and just to give people a little more context on that, this, the margin for for error is so small. And there's a, a story I heard from another guy who was in a similar place. He the Web.com Tour is really the 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 AAA baseball. It feeds into the PGA Tour. It's owned by the PGA Tour. It's really the front door entrance, and it's really hard to get onto the Web.com Tour, let alone the PGA. So there's a guy who there's a Monday qualifier before every tournament. Uh, so it's 18 holes on a Monday where you can pay 450 bucks and play in it. And the top six, there's two different, two different sites and the top six from each site get into the tournament. So you basically have to shoot like 64 to get in. And this guy, this guy got into a playoff, a sudden death playoff and got through into the tournament he Monday qualified in. And then in the tournament, there's two rounds and then a cut and then the low 40% or so get into the weekend. And 
Um, at the end of the second round, he chipped in for Eagle on the on a par five on the 18th hole to make the cut on the number and then played well on the weekend, got in the top 25, which gave him exemption into the next week's tournament. And then that tournament, he ended up winning, which gave him full exemption and full status on the tour that year. So if he doesn't chip in for Eagle, if it hits you know a little divot or lips out or bounces off the pin, none of that happens. Hmm. That is the the margin uh, for making it and and not making it hmm. in in golf. It's it's pretty neurotic. Hmm. Very very fascinating. And one one of the other things too that that comes to mind since you are share that story is that every single shot matters. Mm-hmm. So the intensity level there is is massive. It's super high. Plus, at the same time, you have to counteract that intensity with a, a sense of poise mm-hmm. it's and regardless yeah. that's whether that's whether you're playing in the pga tour or whether you're playing in that the web.com trying to qualify uh, for the next tournament to get to the next tournament that's going to take you to the next tournament that might qualify you for the pga tour it's really it's i mean honestly mike the the reason why i loved that that uh, opportunity and that chance and and still itch to get back there is because it's it's the hardest thing I can imagine doing honestly like trying to make it uh, as a professional golfer on the PGA Tour is one of the hardest things I can imagine doing because it is such a mental like <laughs> crucible you know you're just up there and and you're right every shot matters and you have to live in the present you can't remember bad shots there's so much pressure riding on every step of the way. The mm. average time it takes guys to get the PGA Tour is 7 to 10 years. Mm. 7 to 10 years of grinding on these developmental tours, which are very non-glamorous, very unsexy, uh, extremely taxing. And um, you're, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a long, long road. And it's incredibly, incredibly hard. But it's, it's, it's such a fun... Way to to push up against your own personal limitations and really see what you're capable of. So, what attracted you to the game of golf in the first place? Well, my dad got me started when I was young. So, three or four years old, he got a club in my hands. We lived a mile away from one of the best golf courses in, in America, a Prairie Dunes Country Club in Kansas, of all places, uh, middle of nowhere, Kansas, in Hutchinson, Kansas, and so. Um, I think I just really enjoyed being outside with my dad, playing around, and, and I had the natural kind of talent there. So I think as a as a competitor, I I mean I love competing. That's who I am. And um, so I think just as a competitor, I wanted to do anything I could win at. And having some natural skill at golf, I, I loved competing, and and it just was a great outlet for that. So at what age did you actually begin to dream about going pro? You know, I was I wanted to be realistic because I want to let down my my I don't want to have too high of expectations or hopes and and be let down. Uh, part of that is that competitive nature, not wanting to lose. So my dad always had kind of a bigger dream for that than me. <laughs> he was always, you know, well maybe one day you could you could play as a professional, and and I'd be like, yeah, maybe, but that's a long ways away, Dad. <laughs> and so it wasn't really until college that I started to consider it as a possibility. Uh, but I but you know, it, I think it was more of my pragmatic nature that just didn't let myself consider it until it really was in the near horizon. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. 
based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. One of the things that you talked about was competition and your competitive nature. And I I had a guy on my show a long time ago named Dan Waldschmidt. And one of the things he said is that everyone loves the idea of competition, but when the gun goes off, it gets real. Mm. And, And so what is it about competition? Who are you competing against? What does the word competition mean to you? And how does it influence your daily activities? That's awesome. I love that illustration. And it's so true, right? It's, it's kind of similar to words and actions, right? Like words are super cheap, actions cost. And so talking about things is one thing, but actually doing them is an entirely different thing, just as much as competing, right? Talking about it versus actually doing it. I, so in, the thing about golf that was cool was that golf is ultimately a game against yourself. And so you are competing against everyone else, but because it's such a mental sport, because it's so individualized and um, long form, that it is really a battle against you and your mind and your own self-limiting beliefs at the time. So I think that's what I loved about golf was that I couldn't, I didn't have to rely on anyone else. I could just rely on myself. But it's also very exposing and very humbling in that because you have to take 100% ownership of what you're doing. There's no referees to blame. There's no teammates. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no r- officials. You know, it's just all on you. And so, um, I think that's why I was attracted to golf initially. Uh, but it's also what has made it incredibly humbling as I've gone through it because you, you know, there's no one to blame. Um, which is great for life too, because in life we do have to take full ownership of our actions and our decisions. And and if we don't, it's going to be limiting our own growth and our own progress in whatever we're doing. So there's so many amazing parallels in life. And, and today, really, I, I continue that, that mindset of competing against myself because at the end of the day, like we all have different strengths and weaknesses. We've, we've been given individual um, differences in that, right? And so what my capacity is, isn't going to be the same as the person next door to me or that lives in a different place in the country, whatever it is, right? Those are going to be different. But the bottom line is there is... We each have a personal capacity and the ability to reach and grasp beyond our current capacity, whatever that lies. And so that's really where my competition is now is, is how can I daily reach beyond um, to keep moving forward and expanding that capacity. Do you still dream about playing in the PGA Tour? It's tough. So the last, the second half of my career was uh, riddled with an injury. So I had a muscle strain in my back uh, that kept repeating uh, about five different cycles over a year and a half. Um, so right when I was starting to get a little momentum, I um, I faced this injury, and it was really frustrating, um, incredibly uh, difficult, and I learned a lot about my body, which was a great blessing of it. But uh, I was very unsure whether I'd be able to play pain-free golf again. Um, I'm really thankful and grateful that I that I can now. But um, that was one of the things God used to kind of redirect my path. But I, 
I know how much sacrifice and how much goes into making that journey possible or turning that dream into reality. And um, I don't see that in the cards for myself. Now, um, would I like to? There's definitely times where I, you know, re-dream about that. I mean, anytime I watch golf, it's it's you know, that itch just comes back and it, it kills me. But this year has been a lot of building into what's next and um and I don't foresee it being an, an a possibility in the future. But if mm-hmm. it is, that would be that'd be really cool. So a couple things that come to mind there. First of all, you without really knowing it, you have v- vocalized the the definition of the word passion. So the word passion literally means the willingness to suffer for something, the willingness to suffer or the willingness to sacrifice. And it's okay. People hang on to one passion versus another for too long, sometimes to their own detriment. And they don't, they're afraid to let go of something and they're afraid to let their passions shift or let things change. And so in that, in that experience of having that injury, you gained clarity around what you are really willing to suffer for, you know, like you, like specifically, would you be willing to play painful golf? You Mm -hmm. know? And the answer is no, like you, like you don't necessarily want to play golf and be in pain for the rest of your life because there's a daisy chain of really, uh, you know, negative effects that happen as a result of that. The second thing too, that comes to mind is you had actually given yourself a timeline. Mm-hmm. Like to to run on, um, so to speak, for your your golf career uh, your, as a pro, and and if I re- believe correctly, it was like three years that you gave yourself, and then you were going to begin to think about making a career change. So as you approach that, the end of that period of time, three or four years or whatever it was. What kind of internal conversations were you having with yourself? How did you overcome all of the sure the surely the shower of negative self talk that that happened as you came close to that uh, commencement point, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. So initially, I had uh, created a business plan uh, for this endeavor and pitched it to you know twenty individuals or so. And God bless me with 10 to 11 uh, sponsors. And so with that business plan, it was a three-year outlook and then reevaluate. And it gave them options to opt out each year if so, if it if it made sense. So um, it was, you know, three years gave me enough time to really get ample experience, to really see where I stack up, to give myself time to make momentum and really evaluate properly. The interesting thing about that was early on, right? Anytime you jump into a new pool, it's it's Always shocking and hard and and exposing and different and so early on I, I really struggled with commitment and I I entertained the thought of not going through with three years more often than not because it was a, a season of a lot of failing and then a lot of struggling and and it wasn't until about a year in that I finally like full on committed um, and that really helped my results I think commitment is so important you know and having a plan eight point five isn't helpful um, if you're trying to do anything challenging. So uh, that was an interesting experience I have. But but when I got to the end of the three, it was about three and a half years. And when I got to the end of that, the you're right, the self-talk, right? And especially in the second half with the with the injury, um, the self-talk, it that had been going on already for a year um because of the injury and just unknown of will I be able to compete again. 
will I be able to get back in there? Um, will I, will this, will this kill all momentum? Um, all these questions, all these doubts, all these insecurities. What if I, what if I can't, you know, keep playing golf? What am I going to do? All those questions. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, I, it comes down to identity. Identity is a big part of that, right? And and if we aren't intentional about it, our identity is going to often slip into what we do instead of who we are. I think it's a really important distinction because at the end of the day, who we are are human beings. And and that's a universal truth for all of us. And and I'm a Christian and so I operate off the the biblical worldview, which God says we're all created in his image, which means everyone has inherent worth and value. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you are, what you do. Um, you have value that no one can take away as a human being. And he also says that we're all sinners, so we all fall short. We all no one's better than the rest, right? We're all equal in that sense. Um, at a base fundamental level. And so because of that, like I want my identity to be in that foundation of being a human um, and not in what I do. We're not human doings, right? We say that a lot. So mm-hmm. um, so I think that understanding that distinction is really helpful anytime you're making a big shift or transition because when our identity can it isn't wrapped up in what we do, we can we are a lot more free to make those uh, moves. But the self-talk was really interesting. I think... Um, it was just taking time to evaluate with my team, with my family, with with, um, with mentors, and then and then personally meditating, journaling, reflecting, and and really the question that I think that really came front and center was who has God created, equipped, and called me to be? Evaluating my strengths, my weaknesses, my current skill set. Where I really wanted to see where would that be most effective and fruitful in the world? And the answer that that really came to me through that period was that I can be much more effective outside the world of golf than within it just because of how um, God's gifted me and how I've been mm-hmm. wired and, and, and what I feel capable of. And so that was really the decision-making point for me. Um, and then I actually staged it. I, interesting enough, I had come to that decision probably in November. Um, but I, I waited to really tell people um, for at least a month, a month plus. Because I, I started with family and friends, right? I waited a week or two after I made the decision to tell family and friends. Um, and then I waited another several weeks to, to really announce it to everyone else because I knew that there would be social and cultural pressure, for better or worse, and, and on either end of the spectrum, right? Of mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Um, feedback or whatever it may be that, that would be, it could be, it could potentially be challenging. And so I really wanted to be secure in my heart with that decision. And own it um, so that I wouldn't be adversely affected by that feedback. A, a couple of things come to mind real quick. I, I want to know: Have you read the book Visioneering by no. Andy Stanley? No. Uh, you know who Andy Stanley is? Yes. Okay, so you need to read that book. I think it, mm. I think it'll be really revealing to you. But one of the things in that book that he says is that what God originates, He orchestrates. Mm. And so one of the things I want to talk about in a minute is. All of the things that you've learned in your journey of playing golf, all of the the lessons about intensity, about competition, about failure and setback, about you know margins of error, all of those things, and how all of that stuff has equipped you for this next journey. I want to talk about that in a minute. But before that, one of the things that's that's really interesting is is this gift of discernment that you have that. And this confidence and assuredness that that you have 
in terms of your decision making process. And I know that your Christian faith is is definitely shaped and formed that. Who helped guide you in developing that gift to put you in a position so that you could have that conversation with God and allow him to reveal his plan for you inside your heart? Man, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I I've been so blessed with so many people in my life, uh, from my my parents, my dad, and my mom growing up, um, to you know my sister and brother in law who are great influence, to my grandfather who really was influential in shaping the business plan and helping along the way. My college coach was such a great mentor and guide through college and even in the professional rank. I had a swing coach, John Ray Leary, who was an amazing a mentor on the golf course. Um, and then just even past that and, and different pastors that I've, I've been underneath in churches um, and different mentors or disciples I've had through college and beyond. There's, there's honestly uh, dozens of people that have influenced that and shaped that and, and ultimately grown that in me. And so it's hard to attribute that to one, it's, it's more of the whole. And I think that's an important point that you underscore is that Life is not about us. It's not about me, right? And we're never the product of our own doing. We're really the product of the support and community of those around us. Um, and that's a vital thing to understand and remember and recognize because we like to just assume all of that onto ourselves and, and say, I'm, you know, high and mighty. And that's never the case. We are, mm-hmm. and that's true with any professional athlete. You know, you see all these athletes competing. But what you don't see is the dozens and dozens of people that are on their team behind them. Making um, making their best efforts possible by supporting it and adding to it. So I think it's a really important point. But I think the cool thing about Christianity and the cool thing about God's design in the Bible is that G. It's actually interesting. I just heard a sermon last night about this. But John the Baptist um, was what Jesus called John the Baptist, and in, in, um, I, I believe it was in Matthew uh, that he was the greatest man to have ever lived. And this man, John the Baptist, was kind of the forerunner before Christ, and he was baptizing people and, and this story. And, um, and John was... The Pharisees, which were the, the leaders of that time, came to him and, and um, were, were questioning him and challenging him. And John had this incredible, incredible confidence. But at the same time, he had equally incredibly incredible humility in saying that I'm not worthy, but yet I know who is, and he has empowered me to do this well. And so I think that's an amazing paradigm that Jesus brings is saying, look, there's incredible confidence we have in that he has come and died and saved us. But at the same time, he showed us what that looks like. He showed us what servant leadership looks like by by doing things like washing his disciples' feet, which was the lowest of the low of the low of anyone to do. And he was showing them that this is how you lead by serving mm-hmm. others and mm-hmm. becoming their servant. And we model that so much nowadays with servant leadership. And so it's just interesting how you see all of these things. You know, it, it, again, it's like God's design. If he's, it, he's a creator and sustainer and the one that designed us, then he obviously knows what's best for us and how we can best flourish. And so it's like, it's funny when it matches up in the world, we experience these things like, oh, it makes sense, right? This is what promotes ultimately human flourishing. So so now you've you know you've had all of these people that have helped shape you to get to where you are. Then you you start on this journey of being a pro golfer, which is as we talked about, a very much a, a an isolated game. And now you are transitioning into a new journey where you're helping 
the masses again. You are serving, you are washing feet, so to speak. So how has everything that you've experienced up to this point equipped you for this journey? And what are you going to carry forward uh, from your experience as a professional golfer to this new role? And, and maybe you could share a little bit about what your new journey is. Definitely. Yeah. So I've been building into collaboration work, which is a basically development coaching, helping others um, improve in both health and wellness and balance, but also in, in strategy and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and really, that's what the gift of golf that it gave me was incredible disciplines and habits and optimization of my performance. That was my job. And so being able to come alongside others and help them in that way has been really rewarding for me personally. And I feel very equipped for that. And it was really a discovery process to come to that place. I, I took probably 4 to 5 months um, of really figuring out what that looked like of working with a handful of friends um, just to test it out and see where the value lies and how it looks and, and where where can I add benefit. And so it's been a journey of building into that. But, but I think that golf has... Uh, again, like golf has equipped me in every way, and um, and it's what's, that's what I'm really passionate about speaking to as well. Is that this fear of failure is a very irrational fear that we all have. Um, it's human, right? We all experience this, and I think the fear of failure is ultimately the fear of dead ends and saying that if we go down this journey, if we travel, if I play golf my whole life and compete as a professional and pursue the PGA Tour and don't reach it, well, then I have to start all over again and pick a new career path and start from point A, right? But that's never the case. I mean, if and and we get to we get to pursue like for me, I got to pursue golf my whole life, and um and I failed at it. Right, I didn't reach my goal. I didn't reach the PGA Tour. But because I was faithful in pursuing it with all that I had, leaving no stone unturned, and pursuing excellence and my own individual mastery in that field, that pursuit prepared me for what is next. And I was able to take a few steps back and pivot into a new trajectory equipped well for that new path because I had done this prior path as excellently as I could. And so at the end of the day, that that makes our job really simple. It's just to be faithful, to really pursue whatever path we're on with excellence because it will prepare us for what's ahead, whether or not that's the thing that we're on right now. And um, and that really unlocks a lot of freedom and helps us break the bonds of these, these irrational fears we often hold on to. And so... I, I I think it's a really um, powerful truth that we can all um, relate to, and and in, in embracing that, um, I believe that we can really pursue the things we really feel called to. If we're honest with ourselves, I think mm -hmm. everyone, if they're honest with themselves, have something that they would love to do. But there's so many the, so many chains of bondage of this fear or the what ifs that that hold us back, and we kind of have to just make the habit of leaning in. 100% totally agree with that. You know, Thane, this has been a, a fun conversation. Um, it's amazing to see what you have done and accomplished and are accomplishing right now. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to have had you on the show. I always conclude the conversation with the same three questions. And by the way, we'll, we will link to all of your, your book and your social and everything in the, in the show notes. But the first question is if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? 
I I would say discipline. I think discipline is one of my greatest strengths um, and partly just from golf. But, you know, you really have to say no in order to say yes. You have to say no to the less in order to say yes to the best. And that takes discipline. Nothing just happens by chance in life. It always is a choice. And so if if we can all, you know, instill that discipline in our lives, that's... That, that, I, I just seen that being insurmountable uh, or just really instrumental in in everything that I do. Um, and um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing the fullness of what we're capable of becoming? That one would be one would be that uh, that failure is fatal. Definitely not true. Uh, we've talked about that already. The second is that I'm not capable. Um, and that I believe is also a lie. We have so many self-limiting beliefs. We have such more uh, potential and capacity within us than we could ever imagine. And, um, and we limit ourselves every single day in so many different ways. Um, so I'm not capable would be number two. Um, and then three is that it's not worth it or it doesn't matter. You know, those are the other. The other components is like, well, it's it's really not worth it um, to me, or it really doesn't matter. And those are both uh, really deadly lies because at the end of the day, it really does matter. Um, if we can each individually take ownership and never settle for less than we're capable of, that's how we make societal and human progress possible on an individual level first. I love it. Last question before we hit record, you said that your favorite art form was dancing, uh, so. It's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for a choreographer <laughs> to come up to compose a dance that would reflect your life. What would you? What kind of instructions would you leave for that choreographer? Wow, that's amazing! What a question! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, Man, I I would I would the instructions I would leave would be to do background research with with the people that were in my spheres that know me because anybody who's friends with me or or in community with me um, they know me because I'm I'm honest I'm open I'm vulnerable um, and I I'm as I'm as real as I strive to be right and so um, talking with them to to get a good feel for what it is and just. Make it epic. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Thane, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really enjoyed it. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.